What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Welcome to How Stuff Works Now. I'm your host, Lauren Vogelbaum, a researcher and writer here at How Stuff Works. Every week, I'm bringing you three stories from our team about the weird and wondrous advances we've seen in science, technology, and culture. This week, NASA is commissioning new ideas for how to handle poop in space. And, unrelated, some social scientists are saying that good behavior-based Christmas traditions like Santa, Krampus, and now the Elf on the Shelf acclimate our children to the concept of a surveillance state. But first... Senior writer Jonathan Strickland brings us a less festive but equally important political segment. Thanks to our freelancer Patrick Jake Heiger for the research on this one, and to Aaron Sherb, the Director of Legislative Affairs for a Government Transparency and Accountability Lobby Common Cause, for speaking with us about the issue. Together, these three humans answer an increasingly relevant question. How can we, ordinary citizens, get members of Congress to really listen to us? Following the 2016 U.S. election, people on all sides of every issue have been motivated to voice their opinions and concerns. But what's the most effective method to getting a congressperson's attention? Warning, this piece is about the United States, though people in some other countries may also find it helpful when interacting with their respective governments. I have some tough news for those of us who rely on the Internet to get our point across. It's not terribly effective when it comes to actually reaching someone in Congress. Online communication is generally pretty terrific, at least for those who have the means to access it. It's instantaneous, and on platforms like Facebook or Twitter, it's easy to share, promote, or add to messages. But when it comes to making a real difference on the political level, it's not great. 
One reason for that is it can be difficult for a congressperson to determine how many messages come from actual constituents. If you represent a state like Georgia, for instance, you don't really care what someone in California thinks. California voters don't elect you to office. With most online platforms, it's difficult or impossible to determine where people actually live. For that reason, many politicians pay little attention to messages on social media. Email doesn't fare much better, particularly online form letters. Congressional staff tend to perceive them as one step above spam mail, or maybe even a lateral move. If you do send an email, writing your own words is better than relying on a form letter format. Snail mail is a bit more effective. A handwritten or typed letter tends to be treated with more care than electronic communication, particularly if you take the time to write your thoughts out yourself. But the two most effective means of communication when trying to make your point tend to be phone calls and in-person meetings. That's not great for those of us who suffer from social anxiety. But the truth of the matter is that these methods tend to be taken more seriously than others. According to Emily Ellsworth, a former congressional staffer, taking the time and effort to contact a congressperson's office or arrange a meeting is necessary if you really want to affect the political process. Though, unless you're a politically influential person, you're not likely to land a meeting with the actual congressperson. Instead, you'll chat with one of his or her staffers. Still, that's usually more effective than tweeting how angry you are about a political issue. Unfortunately, this means many people are left without an effective way to make their voices heard because it requires them to have spare time and resources to dedicate to such activities. And it could be argued that thousands of people are wasting their time voicing their concerns online rather than banding together to attend town hall meetings and other events in person. Online communication could still be an effective means to organize like-minded individuals, but when it comes to making a difference, nothing measures up to talking directly to congressional staff. Next up, I've got a challenge for you from our freelance writer Kate Kirshner and none less than the National Aeronautics and Space Administration. How can we better handle excrement in space? Here's what we know about everybody: they hurt, they dance, and they poop. From the Queen of England to the Queen's corgis, everybody on Earth has got to go, and everybody not on Earth too. The world has long been interested in the bathroom habits of astronauts. We ourselves devoted whole articles and podcasts to it, but the truth is that it hasn't always been terribly high tech. Astronauts on the first Apollo missions literally had bags taped to their bums to catch the crud. Alan Shepard had to sit in a soggy suit before taking off to become the first American in space. It's gotten better. The International Space Station has a vacuum suction system that allows for a clean and easy disposal once waste is collected. The solid waste is flung into space, and urine is converted into potable drinking water. And if the ISS were to lose pressure and astronauts were confined to their suits, well, the ISS is only a few hours away from Earth, not long enough to cause huge harm if its crew were left to wallow in their filth. And while they're in their suits, diapers—not exactly sustainable or healthy for more than a few hours. But as NASA considers missions far away from Earth on places like Mars, the space agency now needs some ideas about how astronauts can contain their waste in a spacesuit. 
So they're asking the public to help troubleshoot the issue and dangling a $30,000 prize for an elegant solution. Some things to keep in mind before you get busy designing. NASA needs a solution that allows fecal, urine, and menstrual waste to be rooted away from the body and that can hold up to six days of waste. Here's a fun fact. NASA has estimated that astronauts would need to excrete 75 grams, that's 2.6 ounces of fecal matter per day, but the folks at Encyclopedia Britannica say that the average human drops off between 100 and 250 grams, that's between 3.5 and 8.8 ounces. What's up with the discrepancy? Maybe the space diet produces less feces? Also, the proposed solution has to work in microgravity. And, of course, there's not a lot of space hmm, to work with. Astronaut suits already contain a lot of important equipment, and there's not loads of room for extra bulk. Got an idea? Get working. The contest opened on October 11th, and all submissions are due by December 20th. Sorry for our delay in response. For more information, you can head on over to HeroX.com slash Space Poop. Finally this week, senior writer and Stuff to Blow Your Mind co-host Robert Lamb raises questions about some beloved Christmas traditions, both new and old. In Cormac McCarthy's The Crossing, the author wrote, Deep in each man is the knowledge that something knows of his existence, something knows and cannot be fled nor hid from. America's elder scribe of philosophic grimness was, of course, talking about God here, or whatever counts for God in the violent delights of McCarthy's border trilogy. But his grim pronouncement may well extend beyond the unblinking eye of divine judgment and into our modern holiday traditions. I speak, of course, of the elf on the shelf. Now, perhaps this most foul of Santa's myrmidons has yet to infiltrate your house. After all, they were only unleashed in 2005 with the publication of Chandra Bell's children's book. In the years to follow, the elf dolls made their way into millions of homes, each with Bell's scripture to govern the practices surrounding their supernatural presence. Yes, uninitiated, the elf on the shelf comes with rules. Each parent is encouraged to establish the following guidelines. Number one, thou shalt not touch the elf, lest the sorcery of its creation drain from its form, isolating it forever from Santa's realm. And number two, the elf shalt neither move nor speak while its human subjects remain awake, confining its unnatural movements to the inky black dead of night. The elf watches, the elf waits, the elf reports all childhood behaviors back to its bearded polar master so that he might exact his holiday judgment upon them. Stephen Nissenbaum, author of The Battle for Christmas, even likens traditional Christmases, what with their Krampuses and coal threats, to, quote, many days of doom. The elf seems an extension of that. Toys or no toys, candy or no candy. For the materialistic child, the stakes could scarcely be any higher. It's a formative time, after all, when children learn to navigate the waters of social responsibilities to human and inhuman agents alike. As such, it's no wonder that parents still argue over the potential harm of invoking Santa's magic on young children. The elf on the shelf, however, has not lived among our holiday traditions quite as long. It's less shielded from our distrust and revulsion, and perhaps we feel this way for a good reason. In the 2015 article, Who's the Boss, the Elf on the Shelf, and the Normalization of Surveillance, authors Laura Pinto and Selena Namorin questioned to what extent this vile wooden idol indoctrinates children into the mindset of the panopticon. 
To refresh, the panopticon, which means all-seeing, was a theoretical prison design championed by utilitarian philosopher Jeremy Bentham in 1787. The prison would, in theory, require minimal supervision while offering an effective, cost-efficient means of regulating a prison population. Cells would line the interior walls of a vast enclosure, and a central tower ensured that any given prisoner might suffer the guard's scrutiny at any moment. The Panopticon was never built as Bentham envisioned it, though numerous facilities would later cite panopticonic influences in their design. For the most part, the idea of the Panopticon lives on only as a metaphor for surveillance. 20th century French historian and philosopher Michael Foucault expounded much on this notion, stating that modern disciplinary society breaks down to three key governmental techniques to control the masses. Hierarchical observation, normalizing judgment, and examination. Welcome to the Panopticon. The elf on the shelf unblinking in its lifeless gaze, but imbued with parentally induced holiday magic, would seem to offer all three of these panopticonic techniques. It serves in Santa's hierarchy and stands as a symbol of ubiquitous judgment and examination. These factors, Pinto and Namoran argue, make the elf particularly problematic in our information age. Sure, Santa was always watching you. He knows when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. We get it. But human agents always mitigated, either in the form of holiday-stressed parents or perhaps one of Santa's helpers at the shopping mall. The elf on the shelf, however, is far from human. It can't be bargained with. It can't be reasoned with. It doesn't feel pity or remorse or fear, and it absolutely will not stop, you know, until Christmas morning at least. In this time of hacked emails and pilfered iCloud photos of doxing attacks and professor watch lists, Pinto and Namoran's words of caution ring all the more true. Quote, While the elf may be part of a pre-Christmas game and might help manage children's behaviors in the weeks leading up to the holiday, it also sets children up for dangerous, uncritical acceptance of power structures. Perhaps it's time to rise up against elven oppression. Perhaps it's time to cast down their likenesses, question authority, and remind our children that privacy still exists and that the unblinking, judging eye of eternal surveillance is not free to roam our homes. Perhaps we can even stick to those values as long as it takes us to lose patience with Junior's morning checklist. All the while, the polar panopticon waits patiently. That's our show for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Further thanks to our audio producer, Dylan Fagan, and our editorial liaison, Christopher Hasiotis, filling in for Allison Loudermilk. Subscribe now for more of the latest science news, and send us links to anything you'd like to hear us cover. Plus, the name of your favorite hip-hop album, classic, recent, whatever. You can send us an email at nowpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And, of course, for lots more stories like these, head on over to our home planet, now.howstuffworks.com. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. 
Exclusions apply. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. 